Uh, We're going to go ahead and get started uh, this morning. We're in week three of our series, Won't You Be a Neighbor? Uh, We are actually going to kind of change... Slightly change how we're doing this. I had a kind of an idea of, of how I wanted the, the, the series to conclude over the next two weeks. And as I was sitting down getting ready to, um, to kind of put everything together this week, God went, mm, I'm going to change everything, which was awesome. I was so excited about that. But no, I'm glad it happened because God knows what he's doing when I don't. So we are going to change slightly. We're going to continue in our series, but I want to kind of let you know a little bit of a roadmap of where we're going to go. We're actually going to be in Luke, the 10th chapter today. Uh, we're going to cover this portion of scripture the next two weeks. We're going to talk about two separate different uh, parts of this story, which you know very, very well. And so we're going to start this week by talking about um, a, a certain part of it. And then next week, we'll talk about the other part. Uh, but I just kind of give you a roadmap of where we're going to be and what the situation is. But again, we're going to be in Luke, the 10th chapter, starting with verse number 25. It'll be up here on the screen if you need it. If you have your Bible, you can turn there or it'll be up there on the screen. Let's pray though. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, we're so excited about today. We're so excited about what you're doing in our lives and in this church. And Father, right now what we need and what I need is your help to be able to communicate the way you want me to share your word. Father, my words aren't worth anything. But God, when you speak, Things literally come into existence. Things change. And Father, I pray that today you would change us from the inside out. Help us to see these things in your name. Jesus, we love you. Amen. All right, let's start with Luke 10. We're going to start with verse number 25. It says this. We've kind of talked about this before, but we're going to kind of give us uh, the whole uh, kit and caboodle, as it were, today. It says this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him a question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And basically says, the main answer, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. And, as we've talked about this before, love your neighbor as yourself. He continues on, right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now in verse 30, we're going to get into the story of the Good Samaritan. We've heard this story before. A lot of times, even in popular culture, there's an understanding of the Good Samaritan, what the story is, but we're going to talk about that for the next couple of weeks. And so this is what Jesus says. Jesus replies with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. He was stripped, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead by the side of the road. By chance, a priest came along. When he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant came. This is also a Levite, okay? Basically, a Levite came and walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. <clears throat> Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. Then he continues, Now, which of these three... Would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, 
Now go and do the same. This is a very popular story. It's a very known story. And today what we're going to focus in on is we're going to focus in on the priest and the Levite. Next week we'll talk about the Samaritan. But we're going to talk about the priest and the Levite today. And kind of learn what they did and what not to do. Or how to basically reject what they did. Because basically the priest and the Levite demonstrated apathy in response to the need of their neighbor. They basically looked at the need of their neighbor and said, listen, this guy isn't worth the time. He isn't worth the situation. He isn't worth the, 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 what's going on in my life. And he rejected him. We need to define apathy, though. We need to see what that word means. Because if we don't understand what that word means, we're not going to understand the whole point of this. And this is what it says. It says it's a noun. It means lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Basically, it also can mean indifferent, lack of interest, lack of enthusiasm, lack of concern, unconcern, uninterestedness, unresponsiveness. Basically, no passion. That's what this is meaning. Now, how do we reject this and actually not do the things that the priest and the Levite did? How do we look at this situation and learn from it? I love how we can learn from, from people that do the right thing and then people that do the wrong thing. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at things that they did wrong and how we can reject that in our own lives, in our own culture, in our own neighborhoods, in our own workplaces. How do we, when we walk in and see somebody that's half dead on the side of the road, how do we not become like the priest and the Levite? That's what this morning is about. Next week, we'll talk about what the Samaritan did right and how we can do that. But today, we're going to talk about these guys, how they missed it. Look at point number one. It says, being a neighbor means helping even when people do destructive things. It means helping when people do destructive things. Let's look at Luke 10 here, okay? Now, this is a part of the story that you have to dig into a little bit to understand what Jesus is saying. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to people who lived at the time, knew the area, and understood some of these intricacies that we sometimes can miss. And it says this. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. Now, to us, we read that and go, so what? A guy was just traveling. What's the big deal? Why does this matter? It was huge to them because they understood something. You did not travel from Jerusalem to Jericho alone. That was called stupid. Okay? Things haven't changed much. People do dumb things. This was something you did not do. If you went by yourself, you were basically, you might as well put a sign over your head saying, hey, come beat me up and take my money. That's basically what this guy is doing. When people would travel from Jerusalem to Jericho, they would always go in a large group of people. Why? Because if you look at how that travel goes, it's perfect for ambushes. It's perfect for guys hiding behind rocks, waiting for some guy to walk along with his sign. Hi, I'm dumb. I want you to beat me up and take my money. They would jump out and do so. So when Jesus tells this story, his hearers are hearing this and they're thinking this. I guarantee you, they're going... What a dummy. What is wrong with this guy? Everybody knows you don't travel alone from Jerusalem to Jericho. You just don't do it. And in Jesus' story, he starts it with a guy that's doing something that's destructive. He's doing something that doesn't make sense. He's doing something that everybody else would look at and go, man, what is wrong with you? Now, some of you know this, some of you are going to know this, and some of you know this very well. My life is an open book. 
When I share with you, I share things that are going on in my life. I struggle with this. Okay? Because I'm one of those guys who at times can be way too logical for his own good. I overthink things way too much. And I will usually respond in a way, unfortunately, that will go something like this. Someone will do something they shouldn't have done. It will be destructive. It may be continual. And my attitude will be one of this. They made their bed. Now they can sleep in it. Now, I'm sure none of you have ever felt those things. I am sure all of you with your halos have always looked at people and seen that. But I haven't been. I'll look at somebody and I will help somebody. I will be more apt to help somebody who is actually trying to help themselves. But you realize that Jesus doesn't ask us just to help the easy ones. He doesn't come to us and say, listen, the ones that are trying, go help them. He says everybody, even the ones that are doing destructive things. That's hard for me. And my apathy will come through in those moments where I'll say, you know what? I'm not going to help them because they don't almost deserve my help. Look what they did. How much they messed it all up. You realize that Jesus doesn't, in these situations, doesn't add a but to it. He doesn't say, you to be a good neighbor need to help all those that are doing the right things. He says, go and be a neighbor. He says, go and minister to those who even do things that aren't real smart. That guy that that is constantly dealing with alcohol. And he's just constant, it's just, it's just, he just keeps doing the thing over and over and over and finally, you, you ever had that, you just, you just get fed up and you're like, you know what, I'm done with you. When we do that, we become the priest and the Levite. We basically pass by on the other side because you know what? They've done it to themselves. They, they, they've done it to themselves. They have done it to themselves. You know, That's a very dangerous place to be. And it's a very easy place to get into. It's very easy. Because usually what happens is we kind of, well, let me just, let's just talk about me. I get on my spiritual high horse. And I start to puff my chest out. And I start to go, good thing I'm so perfect. Good thing I don't suffer with that sin. Can you imagine, just for a second, and I'm going to say this, and I say just for a second because it, it's not something I like to dwell on. Can you imagine if Jesus and God looked at people the way I do? How many people would not experience the goodness and the grace of Jesus? Because the bottom line is, is that guy that keeps doing something dumb over and over and over again... That's me. Now, maybe my sin isn't so visible to everybody else, but that's me. And God reached down, and he grabbed a hold of me. And other people in my life reached down and made a difference in my life, even though I did dumb things, even though I continue to do things that I don't necessarily want to do. Listen, if you, if you think you don't have to help people, because the, they did that to themselves, 
you aren't seeing what Scripture says and you don't really understand what God did for you. But Aaron, but Aaron, but Aaron, you know, there's no buts here, guys. There, there is not, it, it, there's not a caveat. There's not a, well, yeah, but they did this. Jesus simply asked, who was the neighbor? Who was the neighbor? And it's very obvious. It wasn't the guys who basically didn't go and make a difference. Number two, being a neighbor means being willing to get some blood on you. Being willing to get some blood on you. Look at Luke 10, 30b. This is what it says. It says, after they found him, or after the bandits got on him, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Basically, they have taken him and they have beaten him to a pulp. They have stripped him, he's naked, and he's lying there, and he's dying. Okay, this is the picture that Jesus is giving. He is dying there on the side of the road. Now, this matters if we understand who the priest and the Levi are. They are people who work in the temple. These, if you want to get really technical, in our day and age, these are the pastors and the people in the church. Okay? If you want to get real technical and really get into it, and not to plug anybody out necessarily, but this is the pastor and the deacon board. Does that make sense? Or the people that help with, with, with the kids, or the people that help in these areas, or whatever. These are the people that are invested in the church. These are who the priest and the Levite are. But there's a problem. You see, if this man who is dying actually dies, they have an issue. They're not allowed to touch him. They're not allowed to touch him. In the Old Testament, we have a verse. And it says basically, in Numbers, it basically says this, excuse me, 19. There it is. Nope. Did not get on there? There it is. Thank you. Numbers 19.11. Now, this is in the Old Testament. And so this is what these guys are thinking about as they're looking at the guy. It says this. It says, all those who touch a dead body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh day with the water of the purification. Then they will be purified. But if they don't do this on the third and seventh day, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. And then we continue. And those who touch a dead body will not and do not purify themselves. The proper way to file the Lord's temple. Blah, 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 whatever. New, 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 you know, numbers are great. Okay. Now, if these guys touch this guy and he dies... They become ceremonially unclean. What does that mean? That means that they can't do their job. They are unable to do what they think is so important to do. They can't go into the temple because they're unclean. They have to wait seven days and go through a bunch of rigmarole to become clean again. If they don't do that right, they even go as far as throwing them out of the community. So this is a big deal. But I want you to notice something here, and this is important. This is not sin. Do you understand? Nathan, would you do me a favor? Can you jump back? Look at this. All those who touch it, and this is important, you've got to catch this. All those who touch a dead body will be ceremonially unclean. There's a big difference in the Old Testament, and boy, we could talk about this, I'm telling you, for about three months, between the moral law and the ceremonial law. This is a ceremonial law, okay? This is not sin. This is something that God institutes for a number of different reasons that we're not going to get into today. But basically, this is not sin. Jesus is not asking these men to sin. 
But he is saying, you're probably going to have to get some blood on you. If you're going to go out and make a difference to your neighbors, and if you're going to go out and make a difference in this world, you're going to get some blood on you. You're going to deal, check this out, with dead people and dying people. And these guys were more interested in what they were doing in the church than what God wanted them to do outside of the church. They didn't want to get unclean. They didn't want to go through the hassle. They didn't want to, I mean, what happens if the guy dies? What happens if, I'll have to get bathed. This is like hysterical. This is like a four-year-old's response. Because I don't want to take a bath. I don't want to help somebody because I don't want to take a bath. But it's deeper than that. These were guys who basically put what they were doing above who God had them to minister to. Listen, what we do here is important. Okay? I'm not saying it isn't. But listen, hear me on this. We all, and I say all because this is me too, we all be, better be ready to sometimes get into the muck and the mire and in the blood to make a difference in people whose lives are dying and are beaten and are left for dead on the side of the road. Because you know what? God didn't call us to sit here in our pretty little church uh, behind our four pretty little walls and hide until he comes back and gets us. That's not being a neighbor. And you know what? It's going to sometimes cost you. It's going to sometimes get, you're going to get dirty. Because you know what? When you're dealing with dead things, things don't always smell real pleasant. But the beautiful thing about this is that our God takes dead things and makes them come alive again. Our God doesn't just sit there and say, that's dead, it's dead, it'll be dead, it'll always be dead. He basically looks at us and says, hey, you come, and through my power and through my spirit, I can take something that's dead and make it alive. We're having baptism for crying out loud. What does that symbolize? It symbolizes something dead, water, spirit, God, alive. That's what this is about. But listen, if you're not willing to touch dead things, then you are missing it. You are missing the call that God has on our lives. Because you know what? Spiritually speaking, when we see somebody that doesn't know Jesus, they're dead. Spiritually speaking, they're already dead. And our job is to pick them up, touch that dead thing, and actually make a difference in their lives. Don't be so concerned about what happens here if you're not going to be concerned with what happens out there. Is this important? Don't misunderstand. Absolutely. But if all we do is hang out in here and have our little service and clap our little hands and get our little Holy Spirit goosebumps, that ain't enough. I'm sorry. God says to go. He says to go. And sometimes it means you're going to get a little dirty. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. I enjoy watching movies about World War II. And sometimes those movies are pretty, pretty hard to watch, some of the things that those guys went through. And I'm always really moved by the medic. And you see these, and of course they have the, they're in their, their, their garb, and they always have the helmet, and they have the big red cross right on the, right on the front of their helmet. And in these movies and in these TV shows, you know, it's always, 
you know, you always see these guys and they're, they're running and they're just doing things that just... And they'll get hit and they'll go down and they'll yell out, medic. And man, here he comes. Bullets flying all around. And he'll just dive down by that guy. He'll start ripping in his pack and he'll start putting stuff on it. And he'll be getting on and he's pushing on and blood is just... You know, that's a man who understands his job. That's a man who understands that there's life and there's death. And without him, that guy's going to die. And you know what? That guy doesn't stand up and his uniform's perfect. That guy stands up and he's got blood all over him. Listen, I know this may sound graphic and I apologize, but you've got to go with me here. It's time that Christians got more blood on them. There are people out in our world that are screaming for medics. And we are sitting on the sidelines going, well, you know... I might get dirty. I, 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 uh, I'm on the worship team, so, you know, I, I, you know I'm, <clears throat> I'm the pastor, so I, God forgive us. They walked by. They let it go. They missed an opportunity. Maybe it's time, as Christians, we understand that in a weird way, we, we got crosses on our helmet. And our job at times is to run in the midst of battle, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of just life. Dive down next to somebody. And maybe we don't know what else to do. Maybe all we can do is hold them. Because there's moments in those movies where they just hold them. Maybe it's we, we, we press hard on that wound. Maybe like we see next week, we, we have the opportunity to pour in medicine and help. But one thing that we cannot do is when people are yelling medic, hide behind our barricades. Hide behind our safe places. God never promised us a safe life. He never promised us safety, spiritually speaking especially. And maybe it's time that we're willing to not worry so much about the dirtiness of the people that we minister to. Maybe it's just time to focus in on the souls of those people. The final thing, number three, being a neighbor means that we understand that acknowledgement isn't enough. Acknowledgement isn't enough. Look at Luke 10. This is important. 1031. It says, by chance a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the side of the road. I want you to picture this in your mind. I want you to kind of go with me. I'm visual, and so you get to be visual with me. I want you to picture kind of the Middle East area and, and, and mountains kind of on either side. Very, very desert looking. And this man is lying there. He's bleeding. It's blood on the, the sand and on the dirt. And he's just sitting there. And these guys are, are literally going as far away from them as possible. We see the temple assistant even going over and looking at him and still walking away. Still walking away. You know, we have at our fingertips more information about what is going on in our world than anyone has ever had at any time in the history of mankind. We know. If we don't know, we Google it. We can find out. 
We can know who's suffering here or who's suffering there. We can know what's going on in our world. And you know what? We do. But you know what? Understanding that and knowing that is not enough. They saw the man. They knew the man was there. And they kept on walking. You know, you talk about our culture. And you talk about this community. And we could sit down and you and I could have this long talk about all the things that people are dealing with. And the situations and their families. And all these sort of things. And we can have just a great, wonderful little talk about all that God wants to do. And then we go have lunch. God has called us not just to acknowledge the need, but to meet the need. God has placed us in proximity to our neighbors to make a difference in their life. It is not enough to say, oh, I am just aware of my neighbor and the fact that they're, they're going through a really hard time right now. Their son is off doing things that they, he shouldn't be doing and he's living a destructive life and I know this and it's just horrible and it's bad. Oh my goodness. And you know what we do? And let's just be honest. Can we just be honest just, just a second? Not that we haven't been, but just go with me here. We'll do this. We'll go. We'll go to our neighbors and we'll talk about it. We'll hear all these things and we'll go, oh, I'm so sorry that's happening, I'll pray for you. Now, let's not go down a road that we shouldn't. Is prayer important? Yes. If you are popping into your mind, oh my goodness, our pastor doesn't believe in the power of prayer. Shame on you. Okay? We're not going there. I believe in prayer. Prayer is important. But action is too. Action is important too. And you can pray, but let's just be honest. Can we just be honest? Usually when we go, I'll pray for you, that's our way of saying, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. And that's how to make you feel better about the situation. I'll pray. How about, instead of just acknowledging there's a need, we let the Father use us to meet the need. How about, instead of having a situation where our neighbor goes, you know, me and my wife, we're really struggling right now. I don't know if we're going to make it. It's really, really hard. We don't have money for a babysitter. We probably really need to just kind of spend some time with each other and talk about it. And you just sit there and go, oh, yeah, mm, yeah, oh, that's great. Oh, I think my wife's calling dinner. How about, say, you know, That would probably be a good idea. What night works best for you? We'll watch the kids. And and don't you even think about paying us. We want to do it just to be a friend to you. Oh, wow, Aaron, you just asked me to do something that's just good. You know, no, I mean, come on. Acknowledging the need is one thing. Letting God use us to meet the need is a completely different ballgame. And it changes everything. It changes everything. And we have to understand that. Let's look at James. And this is important that we catch this. Because if we don't, we're going to miss something very deep here. James 4.17 says this. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. It is sin, folks. Remember we talked earlier about the ceremonial law and the moral law? And how that was different. And the reason why they didn't stop. They didn't want to touch the dead thing because of ceremonial law. They were fine at that point. But when they knew they should have and didn't, it's sin. When you know there's a situation that God has commanded you and asked you to make a difference in. And you say no, it's disobedience, which is sin. Sin. 
Not, not your little white lie. Not, I'm too busy doing my priestly duties. Not, I don't want to get involved. It is sin. So what do we do? Well, first of all, we repent. And I think that's all of us, probably. Because probably all of us have seen a need and didn't meet it. We have been told by God, go go and just, just talk to that person. Go, I mean, make a difference in their lives. Go and, and, and do this thing. And we've, we've not. Very quickly, I want to tell you a story about my own life that has been something that I've had to get over. And through God's help, I have, but it was not easy. I was in high school, obviously, a long time ago. And there was a guy, and his name was Chris. Chris Hudson was his name. And I'd kind of grown up with Chris. We, we started going to an elementary school together when I was in third grade, and he, he and I were kind of through it. And, and we'd gone through uh, elementary school. We'd gone through uh, junior high. We went through part of high school. And, and Chris was a normal kid. He wasn't... And honestly, we weren't really like really close friends, okay? We were just kind of acquaintances. You know, you go to school with somebody, you just kind of know of them. And I remember my junior year, we were in the same grade and we were in school together, of course. And, and I remember sitting in the lunchroom and I, of course, was with my friends and my life and my situation. And, and I just remember over a couple of months, beginning to see Chris begin to change. And I, I, I couldn't quite understand because I didn't know him well enough, you know, so I made all the excuses. You know, uh, he's not really my friend. I, I really don't know him. I'm sure he's fine. Never took the opportunity to figure out what was going on in his life. And I remember several times being in that lunchroom, I could just picture it. And God would speak to me. He said, Aaron, would you just go talk to Chris? Just see how he's doing. And man, I made every excuse. God, I, I, you know, he's hurting right now. I need somebody to love on him. Will you go and will you talk to him? No, God. I have my agenda and my things and my friends. That went on for about three weeks. I just continued to say, no, 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 no. And I knew there was something going on. I knew that God was speaking to me. And one Monday, I went to school, and Chris wasn't there. I didn't think much about it until about third period. I had somebody come up to me and said, did you hear about Chris Hudson? And I said, no. What happened? Oh, they found him on Saturday. What happened? Well, basically he took a double gauge or double barrel shotgun, put it in his mouth and pulled both triggers. And he waited to eternity.
And in that moment, I realized acknowledging the issue is not enough. I realized at that moment that people were dying on the side of the road. And it was my job to go make a difference. You see, whether you know it or not, spiritually speaking, you are surrounded by dead people. You are surrounded by people who need a medic. And God is basically saying here, listen, you want to be a neighbor? You want to be a neighbor? Then you got to go. And you got to act. Is that scary? Yeah, it kind of is. Is that hard? Absolutely. But folks, you got to understand something. This is, this is life and death. We, we love to come in here and play patty cake, spiritually speaking. But these are souls, and this is eternity. And you may have that person right now. The Spirit is even speaking to you right now. And you know exactly who God wants you to speak to. And you, you, you know they're going through it. You know they're going through the ringer. Guys, can you do me a favor? Can we stop looking and going on the other side of the road? Can we begin to actually make a difference in their lives? Because they need it. They need Jesus. And God has strategically placed us in their path to make a difference. Be a neighbor. Be what God has called us to be. Because it is amazing. It is incredible. At the end of verse number 37, as Jesus closes this parable, if the worship team would come on up, he finishes the story. He just simply asks a question. I love how Jesus a lot of times will allow us to come to our own conclusion based on the wisdom that he has. And he says this in verse number 36. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, Simply, easily, obviously, the one who showed him mercy. And then Jesus finishes his parable. He finishes his teaching with this statement. Yes, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. I can't do it for you. I'm not in the places you're at. I don't have the ends where you have them. But Jesus is commanding us to go and do the same. He doesn't say if they're perfect. He doesn't say if they do all the smart stuff. He doesn't say if it's easy. He doesn't say if they're nice. He just says, go and do the same. This whole series has been about neighboring. It's been about finding those neighbors. It's about making a difference in their life. Guys, it's time to go and do the same. Show mercy, show love, show grace. This week, we're talking about the things that, that we need to reject. Next week, we'll look at a whole different side. We'll look at how the Samaritan actually was able to do that and what will formulate that in our own hearts and our own lives, which will be awesome. But you've been commanded to go. You've been commanded to go and do the same. Remember what we talked about. When Jesus says, what are the most important commandments? He says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He goes even further by saying, you do these two things, you have, you have got it. This is a command, folks. This isn't, 
Love God and forget your neighbor. These things are the peg that hold up everything you read in the Old Testament. Everything. We read how, basically, I think it was James who said, if you do these two things, you are doing well. So let's be honest. Let's be open. Let's just, let's look at our own lives for a second. How are you? How you doing? How you doing? Let's start with God. You're loving God, right? You experience in Him. Are you loving Him with every part of you, who you are? If you're not, you can start today. How about your neighbor? What about that guy, you know, like that two houses down, that's kind of a little weird. You don't really, you know, like, yeah, you know, he comes outside and you're kind of like, okay, kids, it's time to come inside, you know. Are you making a difference in his life? Because I promise you, if he doesn't know Jesus, he's dying. And God has called us to make a difference. God has called us to bring forth life to dead places and dead things. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And then the worship team is going to lead us in a song. And then we're going to have our baptismal service. But I just want us to make some commitments right now. Of saying, you know what, God? I'm going to be a neighbor. I'm going to be a neighbor. I'm not just going to know about the needs. I'm going to go meet them. I'm going to make a difference. I'm not going to worry about getting blood on me. Because I'm a medic and my job is not to stay clean and pristine. My job is to bring dead things back to life. I'm not going to allow anything to keep me from fulfilling the mission that you have for me. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be glorious. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, God, we pray for new commitment. Father, we pray. Father, I pray right now the Spirit would just begin to illuminate right now in the hearts and lives of people, individuals that you are placing on our heart to make a difference in. Be specific, please, Father. Be specific. Not just, not just here or there, not some, some ambiguous neighbor, but people. People in our family, people in our life, people in our homes. And that, Father, we'll commit to not live a life of uncaring, not live a life of apathy, but a life of action, a life of compassion, a life that says, I will make a difference for the glory of God. Father, help us. We can't do this without you. We don't want to. We need you. So come and change us from the inside out. You are good, you are awesome, and you are mighty and strong. 